You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A report on Stuxnet suggests there were at least five and probably six countries whose intelligence services cooperated in the disabling cyber attack against Iran's nuclear enrichment program. The watering hole Project Zero reported last week seems to have affected Android and Windows as well as iOS devices and appears directed against China's Uyghur minority. The USB Anywhere vulnerability affects servers. And no, those tweets last Friday weren't from Mr. Dorsey. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, September 3rd, 2019. A report in Yahoo News offers details on the Stuxnet attack against Iran's Natanz uranium enrichment plant. The authors, Kim Zetter and Hab Moderkok, says that the U.S. CIA and Israel's Mossad approached the Netherlands intelligence service AIVD, which had an asset close to Iran's nuclear program. According to the story, that asset, described as a mole who had been trained as an engineer, was able, over a protracted period of time, to deliver the Stuxnet attack code via USB to the air-gapped centrifuge controllers at Natanz. The centrifuges were arranged in a cascade that separated out uranium hexafluoride gas containing the fissile uranium isotope uranium-235 from that containing the far more common uranium-238. Uranium-235 can be used in fission weapons, whereas uranium-238 cannot. Since the two isotopes are chemically identical, they can only be separated by physical means, like a centrifuge. That's what the 1,700 centrifuges in the Natanz Cascade were being used for. While the principal cooperating intelligence services were American, Israeli, and Dutch, German, French, and British services are also said to have participated. The agent on the ground is reported to have provided the American and Israeli services with the technical information necessary for precision targeting. Stuxnet was intended for the controllers at Natanz only, not for any of the many other users of Siemens' programmable logic controllers around the world. The Dutch service became interested in Iran's nuclear program when rogue Pakistani physicist Abdul Qadir Khan stole centrifuge designs from a Dutch company in the 1970s used them in Palestina's nuclear program, and then sold them to other aspiring nuclear states, including Libya, Iran, and probably North Korea. AIVD infiltrated AQ Khan's supply network, which for the most part consisted of European consultants and front companies. It also succeeded in hacking email systems used by Iran's nuclear weapons program. Thus, they had assets in a position to help when friendly powers asked for assistance. Reports last week originating with Google's Project Zero that detailed watering hole attacks against iOS devices were amplified over the weekend. 
Forbes reports that the attacks also affected Android and Windows systems. There was speculation at the time of the initial reports that the attacks, while relatively indiscriminate, were intended to target specific groups. It now appears, according to TechCrunch, that the attackers were Chinese security services and the targets were China's Uyghur minority. Google has received some criticism from TechCrunch and others for what they regard as Mountain View's circumspection with respect to calling out the involvement of China's government. As unrest continues in Hong Kong and Beijing's reaction continues to escalate, Bloomberg and others report that Hong Kong protest organizers say that the Chinese government has mounted distributed denial-of-service attacks against LIHKG, the principal forum the protesters have used to coordinate their actions. China has represented most of the online pushback against the Hong Kong protesters as the spontaneous reaction of patriotic expatriate Chinese, and some of it is probably exactly that. But the fissures that have appeared in the Great Firewall do seem to argue that China's government did what it could to enable, encourage, and organize the patriotic hacktivism. They also suggest that the government is doing a lot of its own propaganda. As we head through the second half of 2019 toward 2020, the cyber skills gap continues to challenge employers as they try to find qualified workers to fill jobs in cybersecurity. Rinky Sethi is Chief Information Security Officer at Cloud Data Management Company, Rubrik. In 2020, we're going to have millions of roles open for cybersecurity and not even close to that many folks in the cybersecurity workforce. And so there's going to be a very, very big talent gap. It already exists today, but it's going to get even bigger and even worse in the next few years. So what do you think is causing that talent gap and what are some of the ways we can address it? I remember when I first started my career, I had a computer science degree and there was maybe one cybersecurity course and I was lucky in college that that was even offered as part of the curriculum for a computer science program. I don't think that's changed much today. And so when folks are getting technical degrees, a lot of times there's these very defined career paths that they'll take, whether it's development or they go into a support type role. But for cybersecurity, it's not still a well-defined career and there's still not a lot of courses available in the education system to get young folks really um, acquainted with cybersecurity. Now, I know something that you're actively involved with is getting young girls involved in cybersecurity, opening up that career pathway for them. Can you share with us some of your efforts there? I think it was a a couple years ago that my daughter was playing a game on her cell phone and it sent her a text message asking, we need some kind of authorization code for you to get more coins for the game. And she texted back saying, my dad's sleeping right now, so let me get back to you once he's awake. And I realized being in the cybersecurity profession myself, I haven't taught my own daughter the right skills. And there's a huge gap when it comes to teaching kids about cybersecurity. They're introduced to new technology very, very early on. You see two, three-year-olds with iPads and phones, and they know how to use technology. And yet we're not teaching them the most important part, which is around cybersecurity. And so... When I was at Palo Alto Networks, they saw the importance of we've got to introduce this to kids at an earlier age. So we had signed a partnership with the Girl Scouts to introduce the first set of national cybersecurity badges for kindergarten through 12th grade. And the idea being that cybersecurity curriculum would be available 
to every single zip code in the United States such that now these Girl Scouts would not just learn about cybersecurity, but would be able to teach their communities, teach their teachers, even teach their peers, teach their parents and grandparents about cybersecurity and and learn concepts early on to benefit the community. But not only that, now they've been exposed to cybersecurity and hopefully some of these girls will enter the workforce as cybersecurity professionals And if they don't, they're at least going to carry some expertise in whatever job that they do, which is going to be very important for our future workforce. And what has your own experience been like as you've been building the teams that you've led and the teams you've worked with? How do you make sure that you have an open, welcoming environment for women who want to join you? That's really important. Having an environment that's inclusive, not just for women, but for all people of all different kinds of backgrounds. I think it's a really important thing. Obviously, it hasn't been easy for me. I've been the only woman on many cybersecurity teams. I'm proud that my at my last company, um, I had a team that was 50% women um, and 50% men, and so which is kind of unheard of in the cybersecurity field. I think that, you know, in the way that I've done that is I go out and when I'm recruiting for talent, I'm not just looking for those that have careers in information security, Uh, because like I said, I think to fill the deficit that we're going to have, we're going to have to expand and look for, get creative with the type of folks we're bringing in, people with different backgrounds, with different education backgrounds, different work experience that are really curious, that want to learn, that can then apply themselves to cybersecurity. And so I've done that. You know, I remember I've hired somebody with a journalism degree from Stanford who had led security education and awareness for me as an example, but had run communications and PR teams in her past and then was using those skills to run an internal education and awareness program at a previous company. And I think when you get creative like that, you not only are bringing new folks into the workforce, but it creates a very inclusive environment for women and for people of different backgrounds. That's Rinky Sethi from Rubric. Eclipsium has disclosed a family of authentication vulnerabilities it discovered in Supermicro X9 through X11 servers, baseboard management controllers. Eclipsium calls the vulnerabilities USB Anywhere. Their exploitation could enable a range of USB-based attacks. Krebs on Security summarizes reports that attackers running phishing expeditions are paying increased attention to cloud providers. In the case he discusses, the criminals were seeking credentials belonging to United Rentals customers. They used a malicious link in a spoofed email that in fact sent the recipient to United Rentals' site, but that also installed a malware package in the process. Finally, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey's Twitter account was hijacked Friday afternoon to display racist messages. The company fixed the problem, which it blamed on issues with Mr. Dorsey's cell phone carrier, within an hour and a half. The messages are said to have been puerile. The Verge says a group calling itself the Chuckle Squad claimed responsibility. The Chuckle Squad also hit a range of YouTube celebrities with similar hacks last week. Law enforcement has been notified, and the Chuckle Squad may soon be given the opportunity to giggle its way through a sabbatical at Club Fed. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, 
and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, always great to have you back. Dave, it's always great to be here. We are in the midst of back-to-school season. Yes, we are. We had our orientation this past week. At Hopkins? Uh, yep, at Hopkins, where we had all of our different like new student orientations. We have a bunch of different orientations, like undergrad, the ISI, has their own orientation, and I was present at that. So, is, yeah. is there any sort of uh, onboarding when it comes to getting the students onto the networks yep. on campus and all that sort of stuff? All what that kind stuff, of stuff has to happen. Do? That stuff happens like in the last uh, last couple of weeks of August. Uh, we have our own network at uh, at the Information Security Institute because, as you might imagine, uh, <laughs> we do some stuff that the that the Hopkins security team doesn't want happening on their network. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> so I see. <laughs> we are actually outside of the Hopkins network, and uh, we have uh, we have engineers that manage that network as well. Hmm. Uh, and because we're we're not part of that network, we have to have all of the students signed up for their own domain access within the MSSI network. Hmm. Uh, MSSI is the actual degree that we give out. It's a Master of Science in Security Informatics. Okay. And so, yeah, we have to go through this process of setting up user accounts, getting agreements from the users on uh, the students on how they're going to use the system appropriately, uh, telling them if you really think you're going to set up something that could be potentially malicious, we need to know about that uh, in advance. <laughs> right. And we have a special place where you can put that that's really not even associated with the with, with our network. So I see. Um, and from time to time, we do get uh, telephone calls from network security going, what's going on over there? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting complaints. It's a really interesting thing to, to think about how 
uh, folks in in the education industry yeah. have this huge onboarding right. every year. And there is a lot of personal information that goes into this process. Oh. And these people, uh, you know, just think about signing a kindergartner up for school. Mm-hmm. You have to give them a bunch of information. You have to give them the name, the, the address, the parents' names, who's eligible to pick them up. There's medical information. Medical information. You have to have vaccination records yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so that's PHI, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and all this information is then stored presumably on a computer system. Most school districts in the country are smaller than 2,500 students, hmm. right? Because here in Maryland, our, our school districts are or- organized by county. Right, right, so they're bigger than most other places. Right, like we live in Howard County, so there's a Howard County public school system. Mm-hmm. And then, but in other, other parts of the country, it's not like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, school districts are much smaller organizations. And because they're much smaller organizations, they have less money, which means they don't have as much money for securing the data that they're collecting from these people. And that can make them a target. And that can make them a target. In fact, it frequently does. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, you have uh, kids who are around college age. Yes, I do. If if you're sending them off to school, Mm -hmm. in addition to whatever the school is providing, what would you do to set them up for success from a cybersecurity point of view? You mean, what would I do that I haven't already been doing for the past 10 years? Or? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't know. Do, do, you have, do you have the talk with them? <laughs> yeah. The security talk. You're, you're heading off to a bigger world. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there are going to be people who are going to try to steal your, your things. Yeah. I, you know, when my son was in high school, uh, I, I got him a, a cheap Chromebook mm-hmm. that was sufficient to get him through high school and did everything he needed to do. I like the Chromebook because the security is constantly being updated. I think Google does a good job with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could argue that Google is using all that information for, for data mining, and that's 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 a, a, a risk I'm aware of. Right. Um, but I've decided that's okay with me. That's why I go with Chromebooks for my son when he's in high school. Now now he's in uh, in college. He's using a, a, a laptop that's a personal computer-style laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's beyond the Chromebook. Uh, my daughter, who is now graduated from college and actually uh, completed the cybersecurity track in her uh, – computer engineering degree, I think she's probably good. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't need you. She's telling you what to do. Right. Right. Okay. Fair enough. She's saying, yeah, this is. uh, (laughs) Right. Okay. And and she's also grown up with me and my my wife, and we all have a healthy dose dose of skepticism on a regular basis. My son's that way as well. Yeah. He, He just might not be as technically astute. All right. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a good time to sort of take stock, I think, and uh, make sure as you send those kids out into the world, whether it be, uh, you know, high school, middle school, or, or even off to college, uh, check in with them, just have a, have a conversation, make sure that they're where they need to be in terms of security. Yeah. And, and be careful about the information you give to the school. Um, you know, if they're asking for your social security number, I don't know if they would ask for that. Don't, don't give them that. <laughs> Joe, when I was in college, my social security number was, was my, my student, student ID. ID. <laughs> Mine too. And it it was, just makes me think about how many legacy bits of paperwork and records are on file yep. on campus that all tie back to my social security number. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> good times. All right. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.